0: So last week, Pastor John kicked off the series When Jesus Comes to Church. Uh, What would happen if Jesus were to come to TFRC? And now by his spirit, he is with us. But what if Jesus uh, were to walk into our church, walk into this room in the flesh, where Jesus walked into this room and somehow we knew for a fact it was Jesus? Um, How quickly would that make it on Facebook? Right? Or Snapchat, you guys would be all over this. All of you guys, you'd have your phones out, and be honest, how many of you would ask Jesus to take a selfie with you? Come on, that would happen, you know it would happen. Um, and then at some point, Jesus starts talking to us. And what do you think he would say? Like, you know, would he say, TFRC, I love your new logo, or hey, that's a great prayer wall, I love it. You know, what would Jesus have to say to us? You know, 2,000 years ago, after his death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus appeared to the Apostle John, and Jesus had a message for the churches, for seven churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. Uh, Back then, that part of the world was called Asia, and in this series, we are looking at what Jesus had to say to those seven churches in the book of Revelation. And we want to hear what Jesus had to say to them and what that means for us. Uh, This morning we're going to hear Jesus' message to the church in Smyrna and just some quick details about that city and church. First of all, Smyrna as a city, it rivaled Ephesus and Pergamum as the first city of Asia. It really was in competition with those two cities to be recognized as the premier city in the region of Asia in the Roman Empire. It was a harbor city, lots of trade, uh, economic center. It was also one of the first cities to practice emperor worship. Uh, most of the empire didn't practice the worship of Caesar until you know, closer to 50 to 70 AD. Smyrna began that practice a good 20 to 40 years before that. And then there was this guy by the name of Polycarp. And Polycarp was the bishop, the leader of the church in Smyrna. Now, I don't know if you've ever wondered... Um, what happened to the church after the apostles? You know, after guys like Peter and John and Paul, who carried on the faith from there? You know, there were men and women who stepped up in their faith and they became the next generation of leaders. And one of those leaders was a guy named Polycarp. He was, according to church tradition, a disciple of the apostle John, the author of the book of Revelation. Um, according to church tradition, he actually installed Polycarp as the leader in the church of Smyrna. Um, and Polycarp was one of the three chief apostolic leaders. So the generation of leaders after Peter and John and Paul included guys like Clement and Ignatius and Polycarp. Clement was the leader of the church in Rome, the center of the empire, the Roman empire. Ignatius was the leader of the church in Antioch where Christians were first called Christians. And then Polycarp, uh, the leader of Smyrna, a key city in the province of Asia. And Polycarp would be killed for his faith in the 150s AD um, in that city of Smyrna. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2. It's the uh, last book um, in Scripture, so that's relatively easy to find. If you borrowed one of our Bibles, you can find the passages today on page 992. We've asked Terry Winkle to read Scripture, so Terry, if you can make your way on up to the center of the room, under the podium. As he does that, I'm going to ask if you're able to please stand and face the center of the room. We stand because we believe that this is the word of god and we read from the center of the room as a reminder to us that scripture is to be uh, central in our lives and so terry whenever you are ready please read from revelation chapter two to the angel of the church in smyrna write these are the words of him who was the first and the last who died and came to life again i know your afflictions and your poverty yet you are rich I know about the slander of those who said they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Terry, thank you very much. You may be seated. You know, there are some things that people say, there are certain quotes that they just they stick with us more than maybe other things we hear or other things people say. And, and sometimes those quotes will stick with us because of either... Sometimes it's what was said, and sometimes it's because of who said them. They just stay with us. And over the years, um, I have just a couple things that people have said that have really stuck with me. And these quotes I've known for a long time, and I still reflect on them from time to time. Um, one is by a guy named John Maxwell. He's a pastor. He's also kind of a leadership guru. But he said once... All things being equal, people will do business with the people they like. All things not being equal, they still will. And I just think there's a lot of truth to that. That everything pe- being equal, people will do business with people they like. And even if, that's, if all things aren't equal, they'll still do business with people they like. Um, This next quote is attributed to Dan Quayle, and regardless of what you think of his politics, I really like this quote. Um, We do not ask for life to be easy, but for life to be worth it. Um, My grandma, Grandma Swoboda, said something that to this day I still remember. Uh, She said, you know, whenever you walk, always walk with your head down, because that's where the money is. Okay, Grandma. Um, You know, there are things... There are things that Jesus said to the church of Smyrna that to this day should stick with us. They should still speak to us. And one of the first things that he said in this passage, at least, in verse 9, is he said, I know. I know. And when Jesus says, I know, he means two things by this at the same time. He means... I know, meaning I'm aware of it. And he also means I know what it's like. And what is it that Jesus is aware of? What is it that Jesus knows what it's like? It's afflictions and poverty. Afflictions, meaning some really serious trouble. A burden that crushes. He's referring to the physical persecution the church in Smyrna suffered and then the poverty it's not the kind of poverty where you only have enough for your basic needs it's the kind of poverty where you really have nothing and so it is very likely that because of their faith the believers in Smyrna they lost property and they suffered physically and we live in a place where we don't really experience those two things we don't experience affliction and poverty because of our faith but even with that being the case all of us have experienced loss. And it often that loss can cause us to really wrestle with our faith. You know, where we ask things like, Why is this happening? Or why did this happen? Or did I do something wrong? Is God angry with me? What's going on here? And whatever your most recent loss is, maybe it's a big loss, maybe it's a not so big loss, Jesus is aware of what you have lost. And Jesus knows what it's like to lose. And so, in your pain and confusion and sadness and in your anger, Jesus says, I know. I know. Jesus, in verse 10, says, Don't be afraid. You know, when my kids were young, I would tell this to them all the time. Don't be afraid. I would say, don't be afraid. It won't be that bad. Or don't be afraid. Hey, I'm right here with you. Or don't be afraid. It's going to be all right. Now, Jesus doesn't directly say any of that. He says, don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Because of the faith, because of our faith, there are going to be moments Of suffering. That was very true for the church in Smyrna. There was a good chance that Polycarp was a part of the church when this letter arrived. And while he didn't know it, for him, what you are about to suffer meant was being burnt at the stake. That's what it meant for him. And while we may not suffer directly because of our faith, in order for God to work out his plan in you and I, that may involve suffering. The Bible says, he who began a good work in you will be careful to complete it. And in order to complete that good work, we may endure suffering. And we don't know what God has for our futures, but we do know that God has a plan for us, and it's a good plan. But it probably involves suffering. Jesus says, don't be afraid. You know, as the video at the beginning of the service said, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Don't be afraid of what it is you may suffer. Also in verse 10, Jesus says, be faithful to the point of death. Now, we don't live in fear of death because of our faith. And so the question... Would you die for Jesus? Doesn't have a whole lot of meaning for us because that's not a real fear, at least not right now, okay? And so the question, would you die for Jesus, isn't as relevant as maybe even a harder question is, will you live for Jesus? To what point is Jesus calling you to be faithful? If he was here in the flesh, how would he finish this sentence to you? Be faithful to the point of faith. Be faithful to the point of that it impacts how you work or be faithful to the point that it impacts how you treat your workers or how you worship here on Sundays or how you raise your kids or how you spend your money or how you spend your time. Fill in the blank. If Jesus were here, what would he say to you? Be faithful to the point of what is it for you? And whatever that may be, we probably need to prepare ourselves for it. You know, there are all sorts of things in life that we prepare ourselves for. But our faith is one of the things that we often neglect preparing ourselves for. Think about all the things that you are able to do. Every one of those things, you received some kind of training. You went to some kind of preparation in order to do it. Whether it's even basic things like being able to read or write or do math. Or whatever you do for work, there was some kind of training you had to go through. Whether you're a teacher or a truck driver, you work in the medical industry, or you're in construction, you had to get trained. Somebody somewhere had to help you prepare. And even if that training was informal, you know, learn-as-you-go kind of training, you still had to go through something. And even think about hobbies that you have or things that you do for fun. Those are things you also probably had to learn and to be prepared so that you were even able to do them. Whatever Jesus is calling you to be faithful to the point of, you may not be prepared for it yet. And there is something we talked about here from time to time called spiritual disciplines. Things like reading the Bible, or prayer, or being in community, or worship. And they are called disciplines because just like any other discipline, they prepare you for something. And I just think a great question for us this morning is how prepared are we? How intentional are we in building our faith? How prepared are you for what God has in store for you? And what could you start doing to build your faith? And look, it could be something as simple as opening up your Bible on some kind of routine, regular basis, or coming to church on Sundays more often, or engaging more when you are here. You know, it could be something as simple as singing when we sing. Something as simple as that could be a discipline that builds your faith. Um, Getting connected with deeper relationships here or thanking God on a daily basis for something. Jesus says, be faithful to the point of death. I am sure that that required preparation. (laughs) Whatever we are called to be faithful to also requires preparation. And so what could you start doing to build your faith? In verses 10 and 11, Jesus uses the words victor and victorious. He says, he calls something a victor's crown. Now, the victor's crown wasn't a crown like a king would wear. It was a crown that was awarded to the victor of the games. You see, just like us, the Roman Empire loved sports. All sorts of games that demonstrated speed and strength and agility and skill. And just like us, only the biggest and the fastest and the strongest could qualify. And Smyrna, they had an arena, an arena, a place for the games. But Smyrna was also familiar with competition on a different level. Again, they were competing with Ephesus, they were competing with Pergamum to be considered the first city of Asia to be recognized as part of the glory of the Roman Empire. And Smyrna was really familiar with competition. And so, if you think about that church in Smyrna and the competition that they had to go through, who won? If you were to look at that early church in Smyrna, did they win? Or did the Roman Empire win? Or the city of Smyrna, did they win? Did the faith, how did the faith of this poor afflicted church do? Who won? Polycarp? Or the ones who burned him at the stake? Who was the victor? Well, I don't know, look around. The glory of Smyrna is gone. I would guess 90% of you have no familiarity with it at all. The glory of the Roman Empire, it's gone. The glory of Caesar, it's gone. And when it comes to this letter, these four verses written to this poor, afflicted church in Smyrna, each and every one of you have a copy of it in your hand, either in a book or on your phone. This letter, written to this poor, afflicted church in this grand and glorious city, still speaks to us today. But the city of Smyrna is silent, the Roman Empire is silent, and every Caesar who ever lived is silent, and the letter still speaks. And that faith of that poor, afflicted church, it still lives in us. And the faith of Jesus, the faith in Jesus. There are literally billions of people around the world 2,000 years after this letter was written. Folks, it is crystal clear who won. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. Cities come and cities go. Rulers come and rulers go. And the faith in Jesus Christ goes on and on and on and on. Polycarp and the brothers and sisters who suffered with him, they all seemed like losers in the eyes of the city of Smyrna. And they all have victors' crowns. They all won. It's crystal clear. And they've died, and the second death, the final judgment, will not harm them. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. I don't know what your suffering has been, or, what is in your future that may cause you to be afraid? I don't know to what point Jesus is calling you to be faithful or what discipline you will have to go through in order to be prepared to be faithful. The good news is that there is a victor's crown. And based upon what we read in the letter, Jesus says, And the life I give is the victor's crown. The victor's crown symbolizes our life. And the good news is, one day we will receive it in full. And if Jesus were to come to TFRC in the flesh, he would tell us that. He would tell us, look, you've only experienced a little bit of what this victory is going to taste like. It's worth it. Whatever you have to go through, whatever it takes, it is worth it. And through his message to Smyrna, that is exactly what he is telling us in this moment right now. The victory is worth it. Please pray with me. Lord, we ask that in times when we are discouraged, that you would remind us of our ultimate victory won by Jesus in his death and resurrection, and in so reminding us that we would be encouraged to follow your call to be faithful to whatever it is you are calling us to be faithful to. And it's in the name of Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen. Receive God's blessing.